All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. November 2nd is right around the corner. And what does that mean for those of us living in Virginia? Well, it means that we're going to decide who our governor is, our lieutenant governor, our attorney general, and the makeup of the Virginia House of Delegates. What does it mean for the rest of the country? Well, there's a reason why Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, and pretty much every major Democrat donor is throwing money into Virginia right now. It's because we're one of the only games in town and Virginia ends up being somewhat of a bellwether for the rest of the country. And so what happens in Virginia is going to have a huge impact on what is currently going on, not just within the Commonwealth, but also within the United States Senate, the Biden agenda, the House of Representatives, all of it. And that is why we're gonna discuss this race today on Making the Argument. Welcome to Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, first things first, full disclosure for those that are watching this for the very first time or have no idea who the heck I am. My name is Nick Freitas and I serve in the Virginia House of Delegates. I actually represent the 30th district, which is parts of Culpeper uh, County as well as Madison and Orange Counties. And I've served there since 2016. So I've been in the General Assembly a while now. Uh, I've actually lived through a Terry McAuliffe uh, governorship. In fact, when I was elected to the House of Delegates, uh, Terry McAuliffe was governor at the time. At that point, we had about a 64-seat Republican majority in the House of Delegates, right? There was like a one-seat uh, majority in the Senate. Uh, but for, for most of the time, for the first four years I was in the General Assembly, uh, the Republicans controlled the House of Delegates. The Senate was very, very close. And then you'd have a, a Democrat governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general, right? So you had, you had mixed governance to where neither party was able to do everything that they may have wanted to, uh, to do. And what was interesting about that is that obviously this, this kind of moderated everything with respect to legislation. Um, the left could not get through you know, everything they wanted to do with respect to their agenda because we controlled the legislature. We couldn't get through everything we wanted to do because Terry McAuliffe would veto it, right? So, and that's where we were at. And then everything changed you know, two years ago, roughly two years ago, when the Democrats won the majority in the Virginia House of Delegates. They have the majority in the, in the Senate, along with a lieutenant governor that can uh, cast a vote. And then obviously they have the governorship as well. And that's been the first time in over a decade that they've, they've had that much control within Virginia. And we've seen the differences. And what I want people to understand about why this election is important uh, within the Commonwealth, as well as to the country at large right now, is because... What, what, is, what is up for debate right now is not just whether or not Glenn Youngkin or Terry McAuliffe is going to be governor. It's not just whether it's going to be Jason Mearis or, or Mark Herring or uh, Winsome Sears or Holly Ayala. It's not just about who's going to be Speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates. That's not, what is, that, that's not the totality of what is up for debate right now. 
it's actually a question of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and their ascendancy within the Democratic Party. And what does that actually mean if they get the sort of control that they're looking to get this election cycle? Because a lot of people will look at this and say, well, okay, they've already been in control of everything for the last two years. Um, you know, has it really been that bad? Well, I would say in a lot of ways, yes, it has been that bad. I mean, if, if you look at the fact that Virginia is now ranked 49th as a place to start a new business, if you look at all the new different ways we have to sue companies uh, coming into the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia or operating within the Commonwealth of Virginia, that's all problematic. If you look at what has gone on with educational policy within Virginia, there's been some huge problems from everything that we saw up in Loudoun County with this girl being assaulted in the bathroom, to the sort of curriculum that we see, to the sort of books that we see in our kids' libraries. Like, all of this has been very problematic for the Commonwealth. And I haven't even gotten into things like the Virginia version of the Green New Deal, which essentially puts a moratorium on any sort of fossil fuels by something like 2045, which has caused most people's, um, you know, heating and energy costs to go up to about $800 per year in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's caused a lot of forests to be cut down, a lot of farmland to be plowed over with these industrial solar fields being put up by people to get large subsidies and then leave. I mean, like, yes, there has been a lot of changes that have happened within the Commonwealth that I think are, are for the worse as a result of this. But what's interesting is some of the things that they tried to get through that didn't quite make it. And so this is what we have to look at, right? It's not all the stuff that they've already done. It's the stuff that they're telling us they will do if they win this election cycle. And it's the stuff that they've already done, but they're not advertising. They're not telling anyone about it. In fact, in some cases, they're outright denying what they actually did. And when we bring this up and we say, well, look, if, if they win, they're going to do X, Y, and Z. But what's the response we've been getting back? Well, we've seen it from everyone from Terry McAuliffe to Barack Obama that just visited the Commonwealth to my Democrat opponent, to school board members, if, if, if someone is running on the left, you generally hear this line a lot. Nobody wants to blank, right? Nobody wants to take your guns. Nobody wants socialism. Nobody wants CRT in your classroom. Nobody wants, you, you fill it in. Here's the problem. Every time that we point out, every time that we provide them evidence, like hard evidence that no, you have actually done these things, you've said you want to do these things, so why do you keep telling the electorate that you won't do that if you get in power when we already have proof that you will? Like, why, why are you engaging in subterfuge? Why are you, why are you lying to us about what you want to do? Like, if what, if, what you, if what you want to do, if you think that is what is best for the Commonwealth, then stand up and make an argument for it. But that is not what you're seeing. And Terry McAuliffe has been a perfect example of this. Right, especially when it comes to things like critical race theory within our schools, when it comes to the problems that we're seeing with um, policies uh, with respect to bathrooms in our schools, when it comes to the sort of reading material that's available to our kids within their uh, public school libraries. Right, Terry McAuliffe's statement has always been, that's not happening, that's not going on. And then what do we do? Well, we find a memo from the last time Terry McAuliffe was governor when he was pushing CRT through the superintendents. We find evidence within the Department, Virginia Department of Education website where they are pushing all these various curriculum for our teachers and lessons plans for students that are based on critical race theory or being advocated by groups that are pushing critical race theory. Like we point this out to them, right? We show them in Virginia law where Democrats pass this equity in, in education and then we show on the ed, equity in education website where it's being heavily influenced by CRT. We show this to them. Is their response to then come back and say, oh gosh, you know, we didn't recognize that. No, the response is to come back and say, well, you're a racist, right? So they, they're not being honest about what they've actually, what they've already done. 
They're not being honest about what they want to do. They're not being honest about what's going on. And when we present them overwhelming evidence that we get it, right? You're not, you're not, getting, over, you're not getting this one over on us. We understand. The response is not to come back and either say, okay, yes, but it, okay, yeah, it is going on, but here's why it's important. Or here, here's why we want to do it this way. No, they're just saying that we're, we're, we're you know, creating a false sense of you know, outrage or that we're engaging in, in culture wars. We're making up these culture wars. And Ben Shapiro has talked about this. It's like the, the left does something. We recognize that they're doing it. And then they call us divisive for recognizing it. And what you're seeing in Virginia right now is parents are getting fed up with that. People are getting fed up with that. Because most people, right, left, center, doesn't matter. Most people, if you're honest about what you believe, then maybe someone will vote for you, maybe someone will not vote for you, but they'll at least respect the fact that you're honest about what you believe, what you plan to do, and, and they, will, they will judge your character appropriately. And what we're being treated to right now is, is very, very few people who are being very honest about what they want, and a lot of other people that are, again, in, in flat out lying to us about either what they've done or what they will do. So I'm going to give you some examples of this. And then we're going to go through each one of the, we're going to go through kind of the, the, the four major races that we're looking at here. And that's governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and the Virginia House of Delegates. But the, the first thing I want to emphasize here is when it comes to things, when it comes to statements that you hear from people like Terry McAuliffe or Mark Herring or Hala Ayala, right, all running as Democrats, you know, my, my candidate ran against, or my opponent that's running against me, it's, oh, I, I support the Second Amendment. Okay, great. What does that mean? Because two years ago, the same Democrats that all ran saying, I support the Second Amendment and nobody wants to take your guns, okay? It was something like 52 or 53 out of 55 of them all voted to not just ban certain guns, but to make you a criminal for owning them. And I'm not talking about fully automatic machine guns. I'm not talking about rocket launchers. I'm talking about you own an AR-15, if, they would have, if the House of Delegates would have got its way, the Democrats passed this in the House of Delegates, right? The, the only reason why it, it was defeated in the Senate is because you had a couple of Democrats that were concerned about how this would affect them in future election cycles, right? So it passed the House of Delegates. Now, when I go and I point that out and I say, wait a second, you say nobody wants to take our guns, but then you voted for this or you supported this. Their response is, well, you're, you're just creating controversy. No, I'm pointing out what you did, and I'm asking, do you still believe that? Would you vote for that if it happened today? Because the practical result of that is you would have criminalized literally tens of thousands of Virginians. Criminalized them. And not just for owning an AR-15, a 15-round magazine, right? For, for those of you who don't know, if you were to go right now and just buy a, a, like a semi-automatic pistol, a very standard semi-automatic pistol, most of them, or I should say a lot of them, would come with a 15-round magazine. It's fairly standard for like a 9-millimeter. Well, if the Democrats had got, the Democrat House of Delegates had got their way, right, with the bill they passed, not just submitted, not a bill that they passed and died in some subcommittee, no, a bill they submitted and passed in the House of Delegates. If they had got away with that, you could do up to a year in jail for every 15-round magazine that you owned, right? That's what they did. And there was only a few Democrats that voted against it. You now have everyone from Terry McAuliffe, who, who has always you know, tried to categorize themselves as, as a moderate, to people like Luke Torian, who, who's a Democrat, is the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Uh, on a personal level, I like and I respect Luke. But even those guys who have always been kind of more on the moderate wing, they're coming out and saying, if you put them back in power, they will get rid of right to work in Virginia. 
So you, you could wake up in Virginia one day, show up to work and find out that you have to join the union or you will lose your job. That's what getting right, rid of right to work means. Okay, this is now, again, for years they've said they don't want to do this. This is not what they're after, right? Nobody wants to. And what we've already seen is, no, they will do that. And so what does that mean, right? So we, we've already had some pretty extreme things passed within the Virginia legislature in the last two years, get signed into law. But we had a couple things that just barely didn't make it through, right? Just one vote, one vote difference in the Senate, and that thing is going to the governor's desk, desk and it's signed into law. So what stopped it last time? Well, it was this election cycle. Democrats had moved so far to the left in the General Assembly, they were afraid or some of them were afraid, though the more strategic ones, were afraid that if they passed some of those bills, then there would be a backlash in this election cycle. So they held back just a little bit. Now here's my question. What do you think is going to happen if even after they've done all these things, even after they've showed us our cards, even in an environment where Democrats know they're in trouble right now, which is why you have all these big names coming to Virginia. It's why you have all these big national Democrat donors flooding money into Virginia for Terry McAuliffe. It's the reason why Terry McAuliffe just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on campaign ads on Facebook that were designed to look like they were actually news articles, when in reality they were basically campaign ads. Why is all that happening? Because they know they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble. People are furious with the Biden administration. They're furious about what's going on within our public schools right now. They know that Terry McAuliffe has, has fostered this. They know they're being lied to. And so they're mad. But what happens if they win anyway? What do you think their agenda is going to look like if they win anyway? Despite all of that, they're going to do whatever they want and there is going to be just about nothing we can do to stop them. If they win this time around, they will feel completely empowered and emboldened to push the most radical elements of their agenda, things that you never thought was possible in Virginia. Because for the longest time in Virginia, even when Democrats did have more control, even when Republicans didn't control the House of Delegates, even when we didn't control the governor's mansion, there was still some basic commitment to the idea that America's a good place that free market capitalism is a good thing, that property rights are essential, right? that, that we should respect gun rights. Like th those things all existed even within elements of the Democratic Party 15 and 20 years ago. It isn't there anymore within the new progressive wing of the Democratic Party. They are not interested in those old paradigms. They are not interested in those old commitments. They are interested in pushing this new agenda, which is based on... The Frankfurt School, it's based on a newfound love and appreciation for socialism. It's based off of wokeness. That's what it's based upon. And anything which advances those policies, they will be in favor of. And again, if they can, if they can pull it off, in the, in the midst of Joe Biden telling everybody, well, Christmas is going to suck this year because we had a supply chain thing we can't figure out. And oh yeah, the, the people are pouring over the border. And I just totally botched up Afghanistan. And oh, by the way, here's this guy running for governor that thought it was inappropriate to give parents notification before explicit material was taught to their kids. And, and now we're debating on whether or not men can use the, the girls' bathroom at a school. And, and I, he's telling you CRT is not in your classroom. And then the memo comes out that, no, actually it is, and they've been pushing it. Right? If they can win despite all of that, there will be nothing that holds them back because the electorate in Virginia will have sent them the signal that they can literally get away with all of it. And so that is why it is so important for us to be engaged in this election cycle. And let's just go through the differences very quick. 
With Youngkin and McAuliffe, I think all of us have seen the news, not just in Virginia, we've seen it on the national level. We see the big difference here. All right. Now, again, regardless of how you feel about every you know, candidate out there, and, and Youngkin has really run on this idea that he's going to be an advocate for parents within our school system. And right now, parents feel like they desperately need that advocate because not only are they being ignored, whether it's by local school boards or school administrators or, or some of their representatives in those areas, but now they have the threat of the DOJ showing up to school board members and taking names of people. There's like the, the intimidation is palpable when you go into these areas. And these are parents that are like, look, I don't want anything crazy. I just want my kids to be able to have an advanced placement math class. And I don't want them to be walking into a classroom and being told that they're either an oppressor or an oppressed class based off of their skin color. Right? I want to know that when my daughter goes into the changing room to get ready for the, her next you know, sporting event, that she can do so in the knowledge that a boy isn't going to be allowed to walk in there as well. Right? So these parents are looking at me going, I'm not asking for anything crazy. This was all common sense stuff five minutes ago, and now I'm being called a racist, a sexist, and a bigot for it. Right? So if you want somebody that's actually going to come along, that understands what it is like to feel that way, and wants to be able to help parents take some control back over the schools that, oh, by the way, they're the ones paying for, then yeah, Yunkin is going to be that candidate. He's also the guy that understands that you cannot sit there and, and punish and tax and regulate businesses into the ground that if you actually want investment, that if you actually want job opportunities, if you actually want to foster an entrepreneurial spirit within a, within a commonwealth, then you can't do that by punishing someone every time they try to step up and make something happen. You can't throw up barriers of red tape all along the way. You can't arbitrarily shut them down one day while you're allowing their big box competition to stay open at the same time. You can't do these things. And Youngkin has fought for that. He's recognized it. He's articulated it. So if you want an environment where you feel like you're actually in control of how you do business and where your kids go to school, some of the most basic things, if you want a, if you want a commonwealth where you can actually feel reasonably safe that when you pick up the phone to call the police, they'll be able to show up because they haven't been so short-staffed, underfunded, or demoralized, or essentially threatened into not doing their job, right? Youngkin's going to be that guy. And what is Terry McAuliffe going to do? Well, again, Terry built up his entire career being an avid fundraiser for the Democratic National Committee for the Clintons, and he always tried to pass himself off as a moderate. But what Terry McAuliffe has always been is politically pragmatic. Not practically pragmatic, politically pragmatic. And what he sees right now is that if he wants to win, he's going to have to go full-on woke, and he's willing to do it if it means he will get more power. And, and Terry's obsessed with it. Now, I'm sure on some level, Terry believes that if he gets that power, he'll be able to help people. But the one person I've always noticed that always gets helped when Terry is in power is Terry and his friends. They always get helped. Whether or not other people get helped, that's debatable because quite frankly, I don't think some of our kids are receiving this sort of help right now. I don't think it was helpful for Terry McAuliffe to come in the last time he was governor and essentially lower the testing standards across the board because he wanted to look more progressive instead of actually fixing systemic problems within our education system that would have allowed all students to do better. His job and his goal has been what the Washington Post told us we should all do with respect to the supply chain. Fix it? No. Lower your expectations. That's what Terry's moniker has been. Right? He couldn't actually get us to where we wanted to be, so what did he do? He lowered expectations. He talked about how many jobs he created in the Commonwealth. He created jobs at a time where Jobs were being created all over the country. 
What's important to look at is what was actually going on in neighboring states. Because at the same time, Terry McAuliffe was focusing more on taxes and regulations and cronyism in order to get businesses to come to Virginia. Places like North Carolina were making it easier to do business and they were going exponentially faster than, than Virginia was. Pretty much all of our neighboring states were growing faster than Virginia was. So yeah, if Terry McAuliffe wants to say it was this when I took office and it, hey, it went up a little bit when I was there, therefore I get to take all the credit for it, I think what we should do is look at what was going around in every other state at that same time. And that's where you realize that he was at the back of the pack. And, it, and again, it's because when, when your idea of growing business is not providing a better market for people to come in and start a business or to expand their business, but your idea of creating a better economy is to engage in blatant cronyism, then yeah, you're going to benefit. Your buddies are going to benefit. The people with political access and poll are going to benefit. But that's not the sort of free market that we should be fighting for. Everyone has an opportunity. So there's a very clear distinction between Yunkin and McAuliffe, both from an education standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a public safety standpoint. Same thing with um, Winsome Sears and Hala Ayala. And, and look, Winsome Sears, she's got an incredible backstory. Um, absolutely loves this country. She served in the House of Delegates actually before I did. So she understands this process. She understands the legislative process. And again, you have someone here that actually believes in the promise of the United States. She immigrated to this country. She sees the value that it provides to people. She sees the opportunities that are provided here that most people around the world don't get to experience. And her goal has been, let's not run it down. Let's not fundamentally change it in such a way to where it bears no resemblance to the very country that millions of people are trying to get into. She goes, let's continue to make it the sort of country that people want to come to because they see the opportunities available to them, not because the government has stolen from somebody else and given it to somebody else, but because the government has largely provided a safe environment for people to be able to use their skill sets to achieve something. That's the sort of environment that Winsome is fighting for. When I, when I look at someone that I want to be the president of the Senate and to potentially be casting you know, important votes there as a potential you know, tiebreaker, that's the sort of person I want doing. I want someone that actually believes in what this country offers and wants to fight to continue to expand those opportunities, not take them away and put all the power in the hands of a couple of bureaucrats. Now, you compare that with Hale Ayala, who I've served with in the House of Delegates. She came into the House of Delegates after me. And look, on a personal level, nice lady. But you look at what she advocates for, you look at what she votes for, she's not going around telling everybody that she's going to rip up forests and destroy farmland to put in solar panels. She's not telling everybody she's going to put you in jail for having a 15-round magazine. She's not telling you that, that she wants to devastate entrepreneurship and small businesses. She's not telling you that. But she will vote to repeal right to work. She did vote for the Virginia Clean Energy Act. She did vote for that bill I mentioned before in the House of Delegates that would have criminalized a bunch of law-abiding gun owners within the Commonwealth of Virginia. She did all of those things. There, there hasn't been an ultra-progressive policy within the House of Delegates, I don't think she's voted for. And so when she shows up, and, it, and it's all smiles on the campaign trail of, I just want to fight for working women, or I just want to fight for you know, disadvantaged population. Okay, great, I, I appreciate that. I, nothing, I think that's noble. But how do you plan to do it? Well, that's when you go back and you look at the voting record and you realize she's got one of the most woke, progressive voting records in the House of Delegates. That is what she will do. That's why she wants to keep the conversation about intentions rather than specific policy positions because the policy positions include more laws, more rules, more regulations, more taxes, more restrictions on your freedom and your choices. And she'll say it with a smile on her face because she honestly believes she's just here to help. She's from the government and she's here to help.
And if you don't agree with her, that's when you find out, oh, well, okay, now you're a sexist, you're a racist. Not because you actually did anything that was sexist or racist, but because that has become the mantra of the Democratic Party. Here's what I want to do. Okay, how would you want to do that? And then you find out, you're like, I think there's some problems with that. Well, then you're a racist, a sexist, or a bigot, or a xenophobe, or whatever it is. And people are getting tired of it. And now you have a, a great, I mean, the, the choice here is very clear between Winsome and, and Ayala. And then finally, that brings us down to uh, the, the bottom of the top of the ticket, which is the Attorney General. And you have Jason Mieris on one side, and you have Mark Herring on the other. Mark Herring, went at, Mark Herring, when he was running for Attorney General, one of the biggest things that they were pushing was that the Attorney General's office was supposed to be the least political. It was supposed to be the top lawyer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. It was there to enforce and defend Virginia law, Virginia Constitution, and Herring promised us all he would do that until he got into office. And then it was all about signing on to the most far left-wing liberal things from other Attorney Generals and then actually joining in amicus briefs against Virginia law. Now look, I'll be honest, if somebody has a problem with Virginia law and they don't feel like they can personally defend it, I understand that. We've had that in the past with Republican attorney generals, but typically what they did was they said, okay, I have a real problem with this. I don't know that I could do the best job defending it, so I'm going to assign somebody else to this case. Mark Herring, on the other side, would side with the other side against Virginia law despite the fact that he was supposed to be the chief law enforcement officer. He also tried to arbitrarily just you know, cancel everybody's concealed carry reciprocity rights with other states. We actually had to go into the Virginia General Assembly and do that. And there was a great work done by Delegate Mike Weber and Senator Bryce Reeves in order to bring that around and tell the Attorney General that, no, you don't get to do this. You don't get to arbitrarily come and infringe on people's Second Amendment rights because you feel like it. Not to mention the fact that Mark Herring was one of the biggest guys out there protesting against law enforcement. I shouldn't say one of the biggest. He was one of the guys out there. He wasn't, he wasn't sticking up and defending uh, for law enforcement at a time when they really needed it. And then on top of that, here's what I think is probably the most hypocritical. Because he's running against Jason Mieres, right, who I've served with in the Virginia House of Delegates. We came in together as freshmen. Jason, again, has an incredible backstory. His mom came here from, you know, fled Cuba. Um, Jason is, is, and his mom, they've all been about, like, how, again, how do we expand opportunities for everybody? How do we continue to keep the Commonwealth of Virginia, the United States, the sort of land of opportunity that attracts people here, but also make sure that the people, that, that once they are here, they are able to engage in the sort of productive labor and entrepreneurship and building their families and their lives and their businesses the way they want, right? Instead of some overwhelming, like, government authority coming in and telling them to do it, right? So that's Jason's background, right? You know, Family fleeing Cuba. I mean, that guy understands the, the, the problems with central planning, government control, socialism. Now, on the other hand, what do you have? You have Mark Herring, who got up and very righteously called for Governor Ralph Northam to step down after the whole blackface and KKK robe um, scandal within his yearbook. And then it came out that, oh, oh, wait a second, Mark Herring had also engaged in blackface. Right? And now he's getting up. So he sat there knowing, knowing that he had this in his own past. He got out there and called for Ralph Northam to step down. And then all of a sudden, when it, when it was his turn, did he step down? No, he stayed there because it's always different when Democrats do it, right? They don't mind eating their own up to a certain point. But my gosh, he didn't, he didn't apply the same standard to himself. But that's not something we should be shocked about. Mark Herring has not had a problem applying one standard to everybody else in a different standard to himself. And that is absolutely the last thing you want in an attorney general who is supposed to protect this idea that we're all supposed to be equal before the law. But Herring, on the other hand, has used this as an opportunity to press for a 
pretty radical agenda from a legal perspective to not stand up for Virginia law or the Virginia Constitution, to not even do his job on that. Because again, I, I understand when an attorney general says, I have a real problem with this, I don't know if I can effectively defend it, but I recognize the duties and responsibilities of my office, so I'll assign somebody else. I understand that. I do. It can be frustrating at times, but I get it. But that's not what he's doing. right? He, he wants to call out Ralph Northam for doing something that he did, but then he doesn't want to do the very thing that he prescribed to Ralph Northam, which is step down. So again, very clear for me on which one of these candidates is actually going to protect our civil liberties and which one is going to arbitrarily decide, pick and choose for himself, where he will step in and defend the very rights that he swore an oath to protect and where he will simply ignore them if it's convenient. And that leads us finally to the House of Delegates, right? That's the other big thing that is on the ballot this year in Virginia. And right now we need six seats in the Virginia House of Delegates in order for Republicans to take control. And again, this is the part where I, I cannot emphasize this enough. If the Democrats maintain control of the House of Delegates, they will feel emboldened. The House of Delegates is already the most progressive leftist institution within Virginia at this point because of the current leadership of the Democrats within the Virginia House of Delegates. Right? It's not to say that there aren't you know, reasonable, well-meaning you know, people over there. I have friends on the other side of the aisle that I talk with, that, I, that we, we try to find things where we agree and we work together. And I can tell you right now, those are not the people in charge. The people in charge are the ones that want the most progressive agenda possible, and they have no problem lying to your face about what they will actually do, because they have proven it. Not all of them. Some of them, I, I will tell you this much, Lee Carter, who I did not get along with, who we did not agree on much. I mean, we, we could be cordial to one another, uh, but we, we were not besties. We'll put it that way. Okay, very, very different worldviews. Lee Carter would at least be honest about what he wanted in the most part. There were some things where I, I didn't think he was being too honest, but for the most part, he was honest about what he wanted to do and what he would do if you put him in power. Right? He's gone now. And what we're left with is people that want to do a lot of the same things that Lee Carter wanted to do. They just understand they can't tell you that. And so instead of actually telling you about their policies, they'll tell you their intentions. We just want everyone to have paid medical leave. We just want everyone to have access to health care. We just want everyone to have a quality education. Okay, great. Nobody disagrees with that. However, how do you plan to get it? Oh, well, they plan to get it through more government power, more taxes, more regulations, by pushing things within your public school system that you can't do anything about. That's how they plan to do it. Do you still want it? Does it still meet your idea of what the, the intentions they stated? Does it still meet that vision? No, probably not. And I am telling you right now that if, if they know they're in trouble, the House of Delegates candidates especially know that they're in trouble. Right, the, the top three, they're still betting on the idea that, they, that Northern Virginia will save them, that they can get crushed everywhere else in the Commonwealth, but that there's enough Democrat votes in Northern Virginia that the top of the ticket can be saved. The House of Delegates races, that's a completely different prospect. They realize they're having to run in individual competitive seats and that we've got really good candidates running against them. And if they don't, if they don't, if they maintain the majority, then they're going to come back completely and totally emboldened. It, it will be no hold barred at that point because they will have said, look, we ran in the most difficult time possible under the most difficult conditions in the most difficult seats and they won anyways. And they're going to have, they're going to, they're going to feel like they have a mandate to push the most extreme elements of their agenda. And there's just not going to be a lot we can do about it at that point. If they have the governor's mansion, the attorney general's office, the lieutenant governor, the house of delegates and the Senate. So that is why this election cycle is so important. That is why getting out and voting is so important. That is why dragging other people to the polls to get them to vote is so important. You know, 
the voting early component was, was critical this time around because when you vote early, your unique voter ID number is then taken off the rolls and nobody can order an absentee or show up and vote in your name. Right? All of that has been incredibly important this cycle. So as we go into this one, if you're looking for the argument, if you're looking for the argument to make based off of a particular candidate or the House of Delegates or just in general, we're gonna, I'm going to sum it up for you right now. The Democrat narrative of being this kind of like moderate, you know, we just want what's best for the children. We just want what's best for, you know, working families. Okay, yes, that's their intentions. What you need to go beyond is, okay, but what did they actually do? Well, they want to raise taxes. They want to raise regulations. They want to engage in more mandates. They want to control your kid's education. They don't think you should have much of a role in it. And the way we know that's true is because that is how they voted. I don't care what they said. That is how they voted. When they had an opportunity to make sure that superintendents would have to report sexual battery, they voted to actually lower those, those thresholds and those requirements. When they had an opportunity to vote for legislation that would require parental notification before books with explicit material were assigned, Democrats voted against it. They had an opportunity, that's how they voted. When they told you that nobody wanted to take your guns, but then they carried legislation and voted for legislation that would have taken them and made you a criminal, that's what they actually did. When they said that they wanted equity in education and they wanted to make a requirement for teacher licensing, and then once the Department of Education had that authority, it flooded it full of critical race theory to where now your teachers have to go through this training. And there's going to be a presumption there that when they go through all this training that is heavily influenced by critical race theory, there's going to be an expectation since their licensure is connected to it that when they go back into the classroom, they are teaching through that lens. So, They've said all kinds of things, and they have listed off a whole number of intentions that everyone agrees with. But when it comes to the opportunity they had to vote, that is what they did. And the consequences for that as a small business owner, as a parent, as a student, as an employee, as a property owner, as someone that has to pay your utility bill, the consequences is your life is worse off as a result. That's the facts. And we need to make sure that we're making an argument that speaks to the very issues that people are, that are driving people to the polls. If it's education, then we need to be able to show them the evidence. And we've done that in our previous podcast. We've done that on our social media pages. We've, we've really tried to come alongside and, and look at our ticket, look at our candidates, and provide the evidence to people that when they say something, when Glenn Youngkin gets out there and talks about education, when Jason Maris, when Winsome Sears, when, our, when Nick Clemente up there running, or Harold Pion, you know, or Amanda Batten, when they get out there and they make these claims, we're providing the evidence to say, no, when they make these claims, this is not just political hyperbole. They are talking about actual things that are going on, actual votes that their Democrat opponents took. And this is the result. And that's the, that's the job. That is what is on all of us as we go in there and we're talking to our friends and we're convincing them on why it's so important to vote and why it's so important to make sure that we're voting for candidates that actually understand that if you want to have the sort of world where people can start a business, where they can raise their family, where their kids can get a good education, where people have access to quality, affordable health care, if you want that sort of world, then you're going to need to vote for the kind of people that will understand that while the government has a role to play in society, it is not there to micromanage everything. The things that the government is there to do, it's not doing well right now because it's under bad management. And part of what that bad management has done has refocused government's 
responsibilities from doing basic things like providing for good public safety and instead moved it to pushing an entire social agenda, an educational agenda, a healthcare agenda on people, many of whom don't want it. And what we found is the government is not good at managing it. But the government can create conditions where the people that are good at managing it, whether it be teachers, whether it be doctors, whether it be nurses, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be entrepreneurs, the people that are good at these things, they can feel fully empowered in order to make their industries, their professions, their passions, the best they can possibly be in an environment that protects their liberty, protects their property rights, and protects their right to live their own lives, pursue happiness, and provide value to their fellow citizens. That's the sort of environment that we want. And if we want to make sure that we get it this election cycle, we got to show up and we've got to vote and we've got to make our voices heard. Once again, thank you for joining us on Making the Argument. I'm Nick Freitas. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, share, subscribe, all of those good things across the multiple platforms that we're on. Also, give us your feedback. Um, you know, let us know your stories. Let us know the topics that you would like to cover for future episodes. Once again, thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.